Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome back to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. Today's discussion, we're going to talk about how to scale and maintain the right level of intimacy with customers, your audience, and your business team. We have two awesome women entrepreneurs, dynamic guests today, Shizu Okusa, is the CEO of Drink, a digitally enabled, vertically integrated, cold press juice brand and apothecary. Shizu and her team spent the last five years building a brand, building a team, and fully scalable supply chain. With online sales, six store locations, a staff of 40 and growing, Drink is on its way to becoming the Sephora of wellness. Shizu started her career at Goldman Sachs where she was focused on distressed equities and high yield debt in the retail sector. After Goldman, she spent nine months in Mozambique, volunteering for TechnoServe, and then three months living in Bali as a yoga instructor. Shizu graduated from the University of British Columbia with a Bachelor's of Commerce and as a Leslie Wong Fellow. And Malam is an entrepreneur who knows how to create and build with purpose and built two highly successful organizations. Back on My Feet, a nonprofit organization she founded in Philadelphia in 2007, uses the power of running to change the way those experiencing homelessness see themselves so they can make a real change in their lives which includes employment and independent housing and led back on my feet to become a 6.5 million dollar privately funded organization with staff of 48 thousands of volunteers and hundreds of members and is currently the owner and ceo of solid core a fast-growing fitness company she founded in dc in 2013 and has grown Salicor to 10 locations with more than 35,000 clients, including former First Lady Michelle Obama, we all remember her arms and her <laughs> amazing physique, and received a multi-million dollar investment to expand Salicor into new markets, including Philadelphia, Long Island, Chicago, Atlanta, Southern Maryland, and Miami. I had an opportunity to be on a panel with Anne, and she has such a powerful story in addition to powerful arms <laughs> that we were just talking about earlier. Uh, and she's one of the reasons why we wanted her on the show, and she's just a top female keynote speaker. So Shizu and Anne, welcome. We're so thrilled to have you today. Thank you. Thanks. Happy to be here. So Shizu, we're going to start with you just on the background of drink. And you know, we we're just chuckling a little bit earlier about there's up to five pounds of produce in one drink, and 70% of the produce you put in your drinks are sourced locally. And so we understand that you have 15 juices, I believe, five shots. Yep, we have 15 juices, five shots, four nut milks. Uh, and then we also just launched our new concept of apothecary with 40 different medicinal herbs oh, and wow. plant-based um, like medicine. Uh, so things like moringa, to mm-hmm. ashwagandha, to things like astragalus that helps to fight stress and make you sleep. Oh, so. I, need, I need some of that. Yeah. Right <laughs> <laughs> so tell us more about your path from Goldman Sachs to drink. How did you come up with the idea? How did you know you were onto something? And how did you take that leap into entrepreneurialism? Yeah, so when I was working at Goldman, I was in New York working, you know, 100-hour work weeks. I was on the trading desk, um, you know, living on adrenaline and mm-hmm. alcohol, basically, <laughs> New York life. Um, and I think you, you kind of hit rock bottom after living that lifestyle for such a long time. And I think where when you hit rock bottom, you're, there's only up to go. Yeah. Uh, and at that time, Dodd-Frank was coming in with a lot of new regulations mm-hmm. and our desk was kind of repositioning its book and um, we were forced to kind of make some changes. And change is always really hard, but um, you know, I, I quit my job at that time, still keep in touch with the entire team. Uh, the Goldman crew is very, and the culture is very tight. So. Uh, you know, from there, it was not linear. You know, mm-hmm. I, as you had mentioned, I, I lived in Mozambique for about a year, um, volunteering, finding myself, finding what wellness really means, and kind of, 
you know, everyone's path is really different. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I lived in Bali and I became and learned a lot um, about yoga mm -hmm. and learned about how to heal your bodies just with your own body. And uh, I actually worked at the World Bank after that and uh, in DC. And that's kind of where Drink had started was saying, you know, there was A, a market opportunity and B, you know, we started as a tech company to do subscriptions. So we were making mm -hmm. product and delivering it to customer homes. Juice just happened to be our first product, but uh, we have really grown and kind of gone a more of a lateral wellness company. But we believe there's a huge market for people that are, you know, busy, mm -hmm. working professionals that are, you know, life pressed right. and need to be fresh pressed with, you know, up to five pounds of produce with like a liquid salad. And so are you still delivering uh, to do. customers? Yeah, 50% well, of our business is online. Wow. And that's, growing. That's great. So I want you also to talk about this. This struck me when I read this, the wealthy is the new wealthy yeah proclamation so tell us a little bit more how you came up with that and what that really means for the mission of drink yeah so um you know we're we're creating the next sephora of wellness and mm -hmm. what that really looks like is a holding company with multiple wellness brands mm -hmm. and so drink was our first brand apothecary is our second brand and really focused on that for the next one to two years and then you know who knows down the road you know i have ideas of natural beauty down the road mm -hmm. as well and so this whole ecosystem of wellness beauty from the inside out uh, and so that was, you know, every business will change and iterate. Mm -hmm. We start, we first started with our slogan of fresh press solution for life press people. We're now the wealthy is the new wealthy. Mm -hmm. And that's wealthy, W-E-L-L-T-H-Y. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what made you decide to become an entrepreneur? I mean, you saw the opening, but it's quite a different thing than to jump into the entrepreneurial space. Yeah. You know, I don't know if most entrepreneurs think like, I want to be an entrepreneur versus like, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I feel like there was like a first two years I was like really insecure about calling myself an entrepreneur. I was like, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm someone that's doing this. Mm -hmm. But I think as, as things evolve and I think as women too, it's like we're, we're, we're forced slash like we've grown more confidence in that in that path and so now it's it's just like a it's just a natural thing but i still to this day probably i'm, I'm a founder mm -hmm. i'm an operator um i'm a visionary and creative but entrepreneur can also just mean so many things you know i have to agree with you on that because i know i had the hardest time when i first launched my business yeah calling myself an entrepreneur yeah. freelancer yeah. i think i was more comfortable saying a freelancer than entrepreneur yep and I know that feeling. So you have to build your confidence up. And yep. more and more as people were talking to me about my journey, I realized that I just didn't, wasn't, I either didn't want to step into it or right. I wasn't ready to step into right. it. And at right. some point you are ready. Are you, I feel like you're ready now because you're doing quite years. well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I have to be. <laughs> you own multiple locations. So correct. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about this success. I mean, you've had some really amazing successes over the course of this journey. Thank you. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about some of that. And, I mean, you know, multiple locations. I mean, you've done really well in fundraising. You've got a Whole Foods partnership. You're, you've got lots of customers, and you now have different partnerships. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about what's going on. Yeah, I think, um, you know, over the five years, we've learned so much about, like, pivoting and changing and then finding, you know, when we're ready, we can sign deals with, like, Whole Foods. We weren't ready, I would say, three years ago to sign a deal with Whole Foods. Now we are because we have, a, you know, a solid team, and we have our brand that's much more reputable. So we're opening multiple stores within Whole Foods locations this year and next year. So we're really excited about that as like a clear path for brick and mortar. Uh, and then for our other locations, how we grow with locations is shared spaces. Okay. We share spaces with other fitness locations, yoga studios, and gyms because it's a, it's a shared sort of audience and customer base. And we're kind of like an amenity to them. And then we also use up their daytime traffic, which typically is a little bit lower through the weekdays. Uh, and so that's kind of how we've grown. I think from a fundraising perspective, uh, we have raised capital from over 20 angel investors as well mm -hmm. as some smaller funds. And we are starting our Series A process later this year as well, which is both exciting and thrilling and also just, you know, it's time to 
step on that pedal and kind of really go full force and not be, you know kind of dance around yeah when did you raise your first round um how many years ago was that yeah so we did a small um like revenue loan first when we first started and we didn't want to give up our equity in the first stages of growth because that's the most valuable part and that's the part when you probably get the most diluted uh so we chose a path where you know it's more cash flow based and we're we're a positive cash flow business so we don't have to worry too much about that um, so we did a, a small venture capital deal impact investor that invested in us mm -hmm. based on our minority uh, ownership mm -hmm. as well as you know we're a hundred percent minority as a company so that was um, two years ago yeah wow. two okay. and a half years ago actually and have you done any pitching at all oh my gosh I feel like I'm always pitching that's the entrepreneur's title we're always pitching. we're always pitching so when we get always. to a pitch competition you're like just bring it on bring it on <laughs> let me just talk yeah. right that's true yeah. so have you which pitch, uh, pitch competition did yeah. you participate in and are you still doing that or you feel like now you're done with it so we did Dingman uh, locally mm -hmm. here in Maryland and mm -hmm. then we did Baltimore Angels uh, we actually have investors from both um, in our uh, multiple rounds that we've done so we just are closing our second round now um, in the process and we closed a first convertible note last year with um, a few folks also from Baltimore Angels and you have 20 angel investors outside of all that? Yeah. So how did they find you? How did they find out? Oh, boy. I mean, I think from, like, it's funny. None of them are actually uh, through my Goldman desk. I do have some friends that I met through Goldman that have invested. But a lot of them, I mean, they span from New York to London mm -hmm. to Boston to Canada wow. uh, to California. And not many actually in the local market. I think, like, when you see us locally, you look at us and say, oh, they're just a juice bar. But our vision is so much bigger and broader than that. And I think sometimes people put you into a box based Absolutely. on, like, first impression. So Interesting. So you, you mentioned earlier, and this struck me, that you started off as a tech company right? yeah. and building a, a platform and then moved, moved into juicing. So what did the data tell you? Whether your customers, the market, and how did you use that to inform your business decisions? Today? Yeah. So I should say tech-enabled <laughs> um, and vertically integrated because I think, uh, you know, tech is going to be like more of a SaaS company. Mm -hmm. We're more of like a tech enabled. We use our platform and our data and our store data to leverage, um, you know, what customers are doing there so mm -hmm. we can better the experience online. Our online experience basically mirrors the in-store experience, but it's technology enabled. Uh, so that means both like in a very efficient supply chain, uh, leveraging what kind of questions to ask on a quiz, and then the conversion of like what products go well with the others, mm -hmm. and then consulting online so that we leverage our store customer base or staff mm -hmm. to talk to customers online. So, you know, that was the, the, you know, the start of it all. And now we deliver to customer homes now. And then we're launching nationwide shipping later this year with Apothecary. How did you know to go uh, from online, from online stores within stores to your own retail? How did you make that leap? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I would say it's funny how like Warby Parker and like Glossier and Everlane are doing that now. But, you know, two, three years ago, we already knew that the cost of acquisition for online, it was going to get higher and higher as people were starting to put more into Facebook ads and Instagram mm -hmm. ads, it's getting more and more competitive there. So actually retail tends to be a longer lifetime value um, of customers and then a, a new access point to acquire customers versus just on like Facebook or Instagram. I mean, it's the life of convenience, right? So, Absolutely, so if you're yeah. able to deliver juices, I mean, I'm just thinking, I can't wait. I'm hoping that the Fairfax location <laughs> of Whole Foods is going to have yep. your, your juice. Um, so what, so what is your, the product that people are buying? Is it the Black Magic? Is it? It's all of them. I and mean, Black Magic is by far most popular flavor. That's like oh. our activated charcoal, mm -hmm. grape, lemon. It's great uh, for detoxing. It's it's really good. Just in case anyone needs a detox. Yeah. <laughs> and it looks scary, but it's actually really healthy for mm -hmm. you. Um, and it helps to kind of cleanse out some of the toxins in our body. And so, uh, you know, with Apothecary, we actually sell charcoal just by the powder oh, for people. So you can drink at home and create it on travel and create it with before go to bed or when you wake up so what is your favorite juice that you make um oh, or I, shot or I, I tend to do a lot more of our apothecary powders okay. now so my ritual in the morning is like I take some ashwagandha mm -hmm. take CBD oil which we're coming out with later this year as okay. well um and then we do ma I do matcha okay. and then I, I do like matcha. a golden nut milk and mm -hmm. with base with like turmeric at the end of the evening mm -hmm. yeah 
So now that you're growing fast, what are some of your biggest challenges as you're looking to scale? Yeah, so I think first and foremost is how do you scale intimacy? So I know we this is kind of the topic of today's conversation as well, is how do you scale intimacy with your customers? And kind of that first you know location that we had, we could really follow up with them. We could really talk to them. We can know remember everyone's name. It's harder and harder as you grow. And arguably, there's some dilution as you continue to grow because it's just not as easy to scale. Um, so I would say scaling intimacy from customers and then also from your team is as you continue to grow and try to balance the need of your board and your investors, is how do you get your team to come alongside with you in that growth and make sure that you also don't grow quicker than your skill, the skills of necessarily your team and how do you find that talent? So. I understand you have a phenomenal team. Um, we do. So yeah. how do you plan on keeping that, that momentum going? Yeah, I think it's a balance between family and team. Mm -hmm. I often think of like, I, lo you know, I look at my team as like a family, but then you know, there's the Netflix, like, chief talent officer was talking about this, like, I think a week ago on Recode, was saying how family is just too difficult to do because at some point, and you all know it, not everyone's going to stay at your company forever. Right. Most of them will not. And so let's enjoy the process during that time, bring on the best people at that time, and have a really frank conversation about timeline as well as, like, what is expected um, and active feedback. The generation now with below us needs active feedback and the, no longer these six-month or annual reviews. They want it now. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Anne, I'm sure much of what Shizu just shared with her challenges resonates with you, you know, as you... Uh, you know, built back on my feet and now with solid core. But before we address some of those challenges and, and how you overcame them, I would like you to share your experience leaving the successful back on my feet organization, starting solid core. You know, most people struggle to start one company. You've started two and you've been amazing at it. So just want to hear from you kind of your, your journey and, and your thoughts. Yeah, sure. It wasn't a uh, it wasn't a very graceful process leaving back on my feet. You know, I fought it for a long time, frankly. Um, but about especially since when I started back on my feet, you know, I had been looking for that level of purpose for the prior few years, and and almost desperate for it. I wanted my life to make sense. I wanted to have meaning. Um, I wanted answers for sort of some of the crap that happened, you know, to me with my family and my dad being an addict and my parents being divorced. Um, it just sent me on this trajectory that I, I didn't plan on, on going down, and um, I never really had any reasons for that. So when I got to my mid-20s, um, just, again, was looking under every proverbial rock to find my my purpose and, and meaning for being here. And um, that's after, again, a couple years of that, I stumbled on this idea for Back on My Feet by running by these these guys outside of a homeless shelter and, um, you know, starting that organization uh, was really thrilling to me. Um, I was I was so young, and I remember um, I remember feeling with every ounce of my being that, oh, my God, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. I sort of had a knack for creation and scalability. I don't really know where it came from, but, you know, vision, vision to me, I can see something. And I can see it three, four years down the road, and I can see a clear path on how to get there. Um, and that's sort of what I saw with this this group of runners outside this homeless shelter, you know, that there could be several of them in this city. And then we could build chapters, and, you know, it just sort of, again, made sense to me. Um, and uh, so as a 26-year-old, of course, I'm looking for some adult figure to tell me this is, like, smart and the right thing to do. And I couldn't find anybody. You know, everybody was like, what? what do you mean you're going to build this into a nonprofit? Like, how are you going to pay yourself? You're just going to ask people for money? Like, you know, just sort of kind of looked at me like, and you're being so Pollyanna about this. Um, grow up like everybody else and get a job. And, you know, you can help these guys on the side and volunteer. And it's great you're doing that, but come on. Um, and uh, it was kind of the first time in my life where I had to step out on the limb and, realized that I got to weigh my options here. And when I realized that worst case scenario, like absolute worst case scenario in my mind was that this thing doesn't work out and I'm smart enough. I'm, I, I hustle enough. I'd be able to get another job. Um, but the other option of like, what, what if I'm right? Like, what if I'm right that I can actually help people change the way they see themselves so that they can actually make real change in their lives. And, 
um, that was enough of a question and a curiosity to just like go for it. And so after six years of building it and it, and it, and it grew very successfully across the country and it turned into a $6 million, you know, annual organization with 50 staff members and thousands of volunteers and thousands of members um, living in shelters being a part of our program. So to have a point where it came for me where it was like, hey, it's time to do something else. Uh, I was like, what was that? What voice was that? Um, no, no, no. I already took my risk and it worked out and I have so much purpose. Like, what is going on? And, and it didn't go away. Um, it just, there was something that was like, and you've, you've done your part here. It's now time for you to figure out what's next. And your responsibility in this world is to create, um, to create community. Frankly, it's sort of what I think that I'm, I'm best at. Um, and you know, when I looked at back on my feet, you know, I, I like to build, I like to grow things and, and back when it was growing so fast and frankly for a nonprofit, you know, it needed to grow deeper, um, needed to get some roots in the cities and needed to sort of programmatically grow instead of just, you know, continuing to open these chapters. Um, and I'm not really good at that stuff. Like I'm not a great operator. Um, and so it just sort of came to the point where I had to be really honest with myself about the relationship I was in with this, in with this organization and I outgrew it and it outgrew me and we both needed different things and we weren't going to get it from each other anymore. Um, so I, I stepped down. Um, I, had begun to do this type of workout where you were using slow and controlled resistance training and got really excited about what it was doing to my body and um, constantly telling my friends about it because they all knew I was a workout junkie. You know, I've done 11 marathons, several triathlons, boot camps, what, you know, whatever, you name it. I was like the workout queen. Um, and so when I found something that I didn't know about, you know, I just, again, was like, I didn't know you could work out like this. I didn't know that you could intense and have an intense workout without beating up your body. And I was like, I'm going to build a company around this and I have to share this with as many people as possible. So yeah, I stepped down in 2000, I stepped down in August of 2013 from back on my feet. And then I had my first solid course studio open in November of 2013. You know, and your story resonates with me so much because I'm a former runner and, um, I can see how you were able to build that business, that nonprofit through running, because it, you, you know, as a runner, you just, I don't know, it just gives you a, a second wind. It gives you life and that runner's high that I always talk about. And what I love about your story is that, you know, I was just so gun ho about running. I ran four marathons. Matter of fact, I, um, actually fell and suffered a real bad ankle sprain and it stopped me from running. And I thought my life was completely over. Like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't run anymore. But then I started turning to biking and turning to other forms of exercise. And I realized that, um, you don't have to beat your body up because running really does tear up your body to if it's at the point where the, you know, where we're running so much all the time. And, um, I, I just really wanted to say, I, I love your story. I love how you recognized, um, that it was time to turn it over and try to do something else. And what part of Shizu's story resonates with you in terms of her current challenges and background? What advice would you give her based on the growth that you had with your former company and now what you're doing? with the current company? I think that, you know, if you have to remain really committed to your passion in your business. And I, I think that is the key to the most successful entrepreneurs. For example, you know, it sounds like she, she she's, um, you know, bought into her products and the lifestyle that drink is supporting. Right. And that's super important. Um, I'm in that solid core studio. I'm taking class five days a week. I'm coaching, you know, it's a, my, most of my friends and community, you know, take class and, and, uh, it's just sort of all, you know, I mix my food together and, and I drank the Kool-Aid and I'm just really authentic in my love for this company and, and what it, what it does for people. So I think if you're going to grow something, you better be damn sure that like you're, you're all in, um, with your own emotions and why it is that you feel the need to grow it and to make it bigger. Well, let's talk about managing people. I mean, you grew the first business from, 
you know, just you to all of these hundreds and thousands of people that were, you know, looking to you for leadership and so forth. And part of starting and growing any business really is managing people. And it's challenging. It's challenging to manage people. It's not an easy thing for anybody to do. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that growth and what you found were really important keys for you in, in managing people and and when you know it's kind of time to let go and let other people do some of that managing and you being the visionary and so forth. Yeah, first thing is knowing what you're good at and knowing what you're not good at. Um, that's something that, you know, I can think back to when I was a, I got thrown into being a CEO with back on my feet. You know, I, I didn't have any experience in it. And, um, you know, being 26 years old and having people work for me that were younger than me and older than me and not not really having any mentors around leadership because I just, it it was going too quickly for me to really brace myself for that or reading any books um, on it before it happened. You know, I, I took the wrong approach of like, you know, just sort of calling all the shots or um, I can remember specifically a board meeting that I had. um, And I was fortunate to get the attention of a lot of sort of high profile people in Philly that were interested in helping back on my feet and wanting to be a part of this, sort of creative approach to solving homelessness. And I got all these people together and I'm sitting at the table um, and uh, I wouldn't let any of them talk. And and it was like any question they had, I butted in. Um, I, I Not because for any other reason than I wanted them to think that I was smart enough. I wanted them to think that I was capable enough and that I knew what I was doing. And I thought the only way for me to do that is to have all the answers. Um, and I just alienated them. You know, they're like, well, why do you need us here? You know, if you've got this all figured out, you know, and, you know, what, why are you wasting our time? Um, and that was sort of, I was really happy that that happened pretty early on in my CEO career, um, learning that it actually makes a lot more sense and you're much more of an effective leader if you can listen. Um, it can ask for opinions and really, really mean it um, and looking for direction from people. So that really helped uh, me with leading people over the next several years. And I, I'm not a great manager, honestly. Like I, I, I move really quickly. I have a very fast pace. Um, and also talk about how with my team, my communication style, um, how I work best with people, what frustrates me. I, I need to know what frustrates you. Um, cause I can, I can be very frustrating to work for because I'm such a quick decision maker. I have a little ADD. Um, I like when I have a zillion things going on at once. And for somebody who's super organized or methodical, that can drive them crazy. Um, so I constantly tell my team, you know, guys, I won't force you into thinking like me because if there's too many of, of me, this thing's going to fail. Frankly, if there's two of me, this thing's going to fail. Uh, one of me is 20 in a room. And if, if you guys don't let me be me, like you can't force me into – Again, you know, thinking the way that you think, like um, you have to let my creative brain do what it does. I'm going to go down a route sometimes in meetings. I'm going to pause a conversation and say, I just had an idea and we're going to talk about it for 30 minutes. Um, And that's, you know, the beauty and the curse of me. Um, But those are the expectations that I'm setting. So I can't have you get frustrated. And I also try to create a really open dialogue with my entire company, not just people that report to me. I, uh, every week I dedicate time for my coaches and there's 250 plus coaches around the country. Um, there's three time slots and they can sign up and they can talk to me about whatever they want, whether they're having a personal problem, whether they just want to get to know me more, whether they want to talk about solid core. Um, it does, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, so I try to make myself accessible, available, um, and not sort of this mystery, CEO, visionary person, that's, you know, unrelatable. I think that's the worst thing that, you know, a, a CEO can do. Um, so, yeah, I just try to be really honest and transparent with anybody who works here. Um, another example of that is we did, we just recently got office space for the last four years, especially the last six months. We've been working out of my townhome in Adams Morgan. So there will be times when I literally would wake up at 7 in the morning and go downstairs and there would be three people working at the table. And I'm like, hey, guys. Um, so it's just sort of, again, the accessibility to everything about who I am. I am all in as a leader and, uh, there's, there's no secrets. There's no, um, there's, there's no, you can't talk to me cause you don't report to me. So you've talked a little bit about, 
kind of setting right expectations, right? What other people can expect from you, what you're expecting from them, being accessible and also kind of having that vision and certainly being all in. You mentioned that a couple of times. Are there specific things you do for the people who report to you to help them grow or and anything that you do specifically within your teams to kind of build that leadership in the folks that are around you? Yeah, so we uh, we have a gratitude night every month that we do. Um, and it's kind of a new thing for us. But once a month, we all get together, uh, HQ and studio managers on the phone around the country. Um, and everybody goes around um, and says somebody that they're grateful for on the team for something that they did. Whether it's, you know, this person stepped up and coached my classes because I was sick or I really needed some advice and I, and I knew I could call Brian. Um, something like that. So we're stopping and reflecting and thinking about, you know, who we're grateful for. But it also allows people to sit back and say, huh, how, how am I contributing to the gratefulness in this room? You know, am I, because grateful, gratefulness is passive and contribution is active. Um, so knowing that we, you know, knowing that we do that on a monthly basis, you know, it, it, I think people want to receive the, the gratitude um, card and they want to hear their name. Um, so we celebrate all of those things. Uh, I have a lot of one-on-one time. There's, there's th- I have three direct reports that I'm actually going down to two. And um, I make a real effort to get to know these people on a personal level, um, going out to dinners with them and their spouses, um, making sure on Monday morning, you know, it's how was your weekend? Tell me about your trip. Oh, my God, you just got back. What was your favorite part? Um, that there is a relationship there. And it's not just it's not just business um, at all. So... And I, you know, I will also be like, you know, here's a $500 gift certificate for whatever. Like, go take, go take your your, your husband and your friends out, you know, and have a nice night. Thanks for all you do here. Um, and sometimes I'll just put that on like my, you know, my personal credit card. It doesn't have to be a business expense. Um, so I think I do a decent job of making sure people feel appreciated, valued, and and respected. And I also give them freedom. You know, we don't have office hours, and I and we have unlimited vacation time. Uh, I trust my people. They don't have to be a certain place at a certain time. Um, If they're not getting their work done, that's going to show, but I don't need to babysit them. And I think the level of trust and openness and a flexibility that I offer um, makes them want to work harder for, for this company and for me. Uh, This is Shizu here. I have a question. I was just wondering like when you know you need to make changes on the team and when do you know you need to start hiring for people for the vision that you need to accomplish if you don't have that, if you don't feel like you have that in within your company already? And like, I guess like what percentage do you promote from within versus like hire from the outside? Yeah. Um, you know, last year I had to f- fire and had a, had a situation with two former employees. Um, and I knew that it was brewing because the trust was gone. Mm-hmm. There were just some behaviors that were happening and some conversations and, um, you know, won't go into too much more detail, but, you know, when the trust goes away yeah. um, and there's, and, and it's just sort of the, the bad energy and the, you know, the gossip, the just, you know, he said, she said, and just sort of drama picks up. Yeah. I know that it's, I know that there has to be a change to be made and doesn't mean you don't sit down and try to address and fix the problem. Um, and the other piece is when I, when I feel like I'm starting to micromanage, um, that's a big red flag for me. It, it shows that I don't trust the person in their in their role and that there's something wrong with the relationship. So I also will address that and have a conversation and even communicate that. I can feel myself starting to micromanage. Um, it's a red flag for me. You know, I want to figure out how to not do that. Uh, we got to figure out a way, way to better communicate, um, a way for me to better feel comfortable about your, your outputs, um, how you're spending your time, um, whatever those conversations are. But I, I don't, I don't let things fester. If I see something happening, I address it immediately in a professional manner. And it's one of Stephen Covey's principles, um, which uh, I'm sorry, Dale Carnegie's, which I love, is seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Yeah. And we all forget that sometimes. But as more often than not, you know, I'll sit down and start asking questions. You know, I've noticed that the work product is, you know, not up to par. And is there something going on? Um, do you feel that way as well? Instead of just, you know, this is the stuff you've been producing. It's just not where it should be. You know, I'm frustrated, whatever, whatever. You know, if you try to get someone to open up a little bit so maybe they can communicate why, um, 
you know, maybe they're even dissatisfied with something. And, and also that creates an environment that hopefully the next time that something may be going on with that individual, they can get ahead of it and come talk to me and say whether it's, hey, listen, I'm having some issues in my personal life right now. Um, would you mind if I took a day? Instead of just, you know, pushing that down and saying I'm at work and then having that affect your work product. So it's my job to create a comfortable environment where people feel okay doing that. That's great. So you talked about really cultivating that trust, encouraging people to contribute because you're recognizing that contribution, having those personal relationships and and nipping things in the bud quickly, right? Addressing it and really trying to understand what's going on. I'm going to pivot for a minute and talk about some fundraising. Um, obviously, you've both been extremely successful in raising funds. Let's start with Shizu. Tell us a little bit about what you think was the key to securing the right funding and from the right funders. It's a great question. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, I just got an email earlier today about uh, someone that wanted to invest, but his ticket size was really small. And sometimes it's it's so hard, I think, for entrepreneurs, knock on wood, if you get someone that wants to invest in you, you equally need to vet them out versus just have them vet you. Uh, so I find that now, you know, I do much more of a pro- – luckily, we haven't made a mistake in that area, but uh, through mentorship and advice that I have received, it's you also need to ask them for references. You also need to ask them what value can they bring to your company. Otherwise, they're just a stale person on your cap table, which – down the road, it just, I think, doesn't look great um, or gets complicated. Uh, so I think the the key differentiator for us, and I think is, you know, both background of execution, like what have you executed in the past? And if you haven't been, in, you know, I'm a first-time founder, so it's more about what's the visionary, what's the vision, what's my skill set, and do I have what it takes to really, uh, you know, scale this business to what I think it, it can be in five years from now, and how do I return your money with some X return to that? So I definitely think my background has helped with that. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm, hopefully that answers your question. But. Yeah, and anything you want to add there about finding the right right fund right funders for the fundraising you've been doing? Yeah, I, um, I mean, yes, of course, fundraising is um, super, you know, obviously important at some point in the game if you're going to want to grow at the level that you want to grow. And I, I, I turned down, um, you know, several, several offers because the relationship wasn't right. And um, it can be really tempting as a founder when you need money to be like, oh, who cares? Like, how bad can the relationship be? I'll just take the money. Um, I just need the money so badly. And uh, you're also kind of sometimes you're like, holy, sorry if I can't say that. Holy crap. Um, (laughs) These people want to give me all this money. You know, what an incredible feeling to have made something so valuable that people are throwing money at you. um, And, you know, you got to kind of scale back and be like, this is a marriage. Like I'm going into partnership with these people. um, So it's really important to have a good lawyer who's actually done this before, um, who can talk to you about some horror stories of things that have gone wrong in funding and partnership and venture and PE um, and some things that have gone right and making sure that the lawyer understands you and what you're looking for um, and how you want the relationship work to, to work. Because there's a lot of jargon, you know, involved in raising money and uh, contracts and legal and um, making sure you have somebody who isn't going to be condescending to you and to really help you navigate the process and, you know, what certain things mean. Um, if this happens, this is what this means. If this happens, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that was the key thing for me is finding the right lawyer who was on my side. And then, um, you know, I, I probably interviewed 10 firms and, uh, the people I chose were just, they're actually out of Utah. And I love that they are family owned PE firm and, and Joel Peterson is the head guy there. And he's one of the founding members at JetBlue and they're Mormon. And, um, I just love the energy that they brought to the table. So, uh, my decision, I felt, was pretty easy after meeting with them and having so many other people to compare to. Um, they they really are trying to create a difference in this world through their venture fund, um, and they're only interested in investing in entrepreneurs who feel the same way. It's not just about the money. It's it's not like a Machiavellian investment firm um, where it's just about the end result. They really care about the process and how they get there, and those values and principles are very important to them as they are to me. All right. Well, let's jump into my favorite subject, (laughs) PR. (laughs) (laughs) And you both have had a 
great press. And uh, I want to talk about, has it been deliberate with your PR and marketing approach? Um, Shizu, do you want to go first? How, you know, has it been deliberate or not? Or Sure, you... yeah. I think, uh, you know, we had a PR firm when we first started mm -hmm. just to get our voice out there. But I will say that, you know, we, now we don't. We're very organic in our approach for marketing and acquiring customers or getting our word, our name out there. Uh, it's, it's really social media driven and very organic mm. where our followers are our referrals. Our followers are the ones that are posting content and telling the world about us. And so I think that's the way we would like to see it because then we also think that's the most sustainable and organic uh, way. It's authentic too. It's authentic. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't smell weird. It doesn't. It doesn't have this weird taste. And I think from a founder perspective, I, I do think from the, in the last year maybe with Whole Foods and just um, you know nationwide coming up is. Uh, people are coming to us about kind of things and what they want to talk to us and also the wave of female founders I think has been um, definitely a wind on our back yeah and what are your thoughts on PR it was a deliberate or did it just happen to come to you we have just recently started to invest a little bit more in PR and marketing um, for the first four years of this company we didn't really spend the dime um, at all and that was really fortunate for us, ag agreeing with the word of mouth. And that is the best form of marketing you can get because it, it isn't paid, obviously. And um, somebody going to Solid Four and then going to tell their 10 friends if you have to go here, it's just so genuine. And, you know, their friends, you know, there's no vested interest from anybody. It's just, oh, my God, I love this. I think you're going to love it, too. Um, so that was a huge part of us. But now that we're growing as fast as we are and going into these new markets, um, we're trying to get our story out there a little bit more and think we've got an, uh, an amazing story to tell. So it's not so much PR for the studio itself. It's more PR around the solid core, you know, story, um, the female entrepreneurship story. You know, we have sort of a similar one where, um, you know, I, I started solid core with all of my money. I put all my money that I, that I saved over the years and like put it all on the table. And it was just, you know, sort of that, that, I don't want to say simple, but it makes people feel like, oh, my God, I could do that, too. Um, I didn't come for money. I didn't have, you know, three million bucks from somebody else. Um, so there's sort of that organic story that we want to get out there and really have more of a business angle with, you know, Forbes and Fast Company and, and things like that to really help elevate our brand because SolidCore, you know, will sell one day. And that's sort of the plan of taking an investment is to grow it to the size that you want to sell. And they're going to look at everything. You know, what is your brand equity or your EPS score, um, all of these types of things, not just what your unit economics are. So we'll, we're trying to build a very compelling package um, for the company. Now, uh, sometimes you get PR without knowing that it's going to happen. If, if uh, you Google myself, you'll quickly see a story on Ivanka Trump from, you know, last year when she came into our studio and, um, you know, I didn't think it was as appropriate as could have been the way that she did it, and, and I said so. Um, and it just sort of got thrown into the trenches and the trolls and, um, you know, it got picked up on national news and, and pretty soon the New Yorkers calling me and, you know, NBC national news. And I'm like, what is going on here? But it was just such a political hotbed at the time when it happened in such a controversial state, um, that, you know, the, the, the dichotomy, I feel like of politics at that time was just people, that's all the news wanted to talk about. So anyway, uh, for four days, we had to shut down our, our website and we had to turn off our phones because, you know, half the population or however many that were, you know, avid Trump supporters thought I was the, the demon. And um, so it was crazy. But, you know, I guess all press is good press, as some, as some say. Yeah, that's what people say, but I, I necessarily don't always agree with that statement. Yeah. All press is good press. You know, you said a lot. You've um, Let's unpack it. So, first of all, I do agree with you. PR is great for storytelling. It's not only good for, you know, to get the media attention, to get your name out there, but it's definitely a wonderful tool to use for storytelling. So, I agree with you 100%. I've listened to you on a couple of podcasts myself, and I think you have a wonderful story to share. share. So, I can commend you on that part. Um, as far as what happened, um, you got thrown into this political 
fire, so to speak. Um, that is the downside of PR. And um, that's when it's good to have a publicist or somebody to turn to who can help control that messaging and story for you because it can quickly get unravel and, and, and get out of hand as you saw. And, um, you know, I'm sorry you experienced that. And yeah, the, I'm not a fan of all press is good press. I'm just not, and I, and I do PR, you know, in my sleep. And uh, I totally agree with you 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, especially when you're in it. I mean, when I was in it, I was like, oh my God, this is never going to end. Mm -hmm. uh, it just, it was insane. But, you know, you got to make you got to make what's best of it. And I also won't, you know, after that, people are like, Ann, you got to keep your political, your political voice and opinion to yourself. And I'm like, I will not. Right. I'm I sorry. I, I have a platform and this is my business and I will not sit back and be complicit. Um, I will stand up for what is right for my, my principles mm -hmm. and, and my clients and our customers. And we have to stand for something and you're not always going to agree with me and that's okay i'm not i'm not asking you to right. um, for you. so yeah i won't uh if you, you won't see me shy away on my social media from my strong political voice did, did you lose any customers because of that or did you not even worry about that at all i mean it was a worry because it, again when you're in the thick of it you're like you know is is this going to impact me and DC is so liberal, you know, 98% of people I think voted for Trump, but we also were opening up in North Dakota within the next two weeks, which is my hometown in Bismarck, which is very obviously a red state. And we had places in Dallas and whatever else. And, and, and no, if, any, if anything, it bolstered, it bolstered our, our business. Um, a lot of people were very supportive of speaking up and sure there were people who, you know, wrote me some unfriendly messages, mm -hmm. but you know, so, so be it. Like I said, I've, if, if I was concerned what everybody thought of me or concerned what trying to appease everybody, I would never leave my house. Right. So, right. you know, it just, you just gotta, I think be consistent. And that's where a lot of people uh, I think screw up is they try to, even with their brand, you know, they try to be everything to everybody. Um, and one of the smartest things I learned about marketing and branding is own your space, mm -hmm. stay in your lane, own your space and do it better than anybody else. Right. So, so I do have a question just on, you know, we've had several entrepreneurs on the show, and I think in our advising, advising to entrepreneurs, we hear often, and I've heard, especially recently, there's some entrepreneurs that are just like, I, I've had it, I'm just ready to do something different. Have you all encountered a time where you were ready to quit and just give in just because of all the stuff going on? Um, and what did you do to overcome that? If so, and, and Shizu, we'll start with you, and then Anne will go to you. I think when, um, so I had a co-founder when I first started, uh, and we're still friends, um, but, you know, we're very professional about it now, and we're just, it's like a breakup, you know? It, it, it brings in all these, like, abandonment <laughs> issues. It brings in all these, like, what am I going to do? Like, we started this together. This mm -hmm. is our story. How am I going to do this all? Right. But it actually opened up so many doors. It was like after that had chapter had passed it's like we got whole foods after that chapter had passed we opened apothecary after that chapter has passed we got some really great people to join so uh, but but i do think that point was like a really hard time and mm -hmm. i probably i went through depression probably for like six months of just i don't know if i can do this by myself in a city that i don't know so but yeah i mean but you, i got through it i think through support of my team and through support of like the business itself mm -hmm. just saying like this no you have to keep going right. you have to keep going yeah, yeah. and how about you um i mean these last four and a half years close to five i guess now have definitely not been without its challenges um but i think it's all about expectations and um you know when you're gonna put yourself out there and grow a business and i had some experience of course be back on my feet you know i i sort of you know, knew it was going to be tough at times. I've gone through two losses, uh, one with an ex-boyfriend and one um, with sort of an ex-business person I was in a relationship with, um, you know, and that was trying and challenging because you're like, what? I'm being sued? Like, I, I sort of felt like I did something wrong and realized that, you know, that wasn't my decision to do that. And um, that you can sue anybody in this country. And frankly, a lot of law firms will take on cases if there's a pot of money on the other end, someone who's successful and um, you can make a case for that. So I, uh, I have never felt 
ready to leave yet. Um, I trust my gut and intuition and, and that will happen. You know, I'm not going to have the same reaction that I did with back on my feet to solid four, which was, Oh my God, I have to start over. Oh my God. What if, what if I got lucky the first time? Did I peak too soon? You know, you just have these self doubts. And now I am so sure that my, my place in this world is at the beginning stages of, of building and creating something and that doesn't mean whatever I do next is going to work out. It may, it may not, but that's where I shine and that's where I get my energy. And it's my responsibility and obligation, I think, to when I feel as, as, as passionate and purposeful as I have about back on my feet and then solid four, if I get that feeling about something else again, I, I owe it to, to myself and to um, the idea and the community that is potentially waiting to be built to explore it. That's awesome. I, I appreciate that. And I, you've done several TED Talks, and I just want to um, put this out there for our listeners. Um, if you go to um, Letting Go of Complacency, it's, a, it's one, of, one of many TED Talks that Anne did, which I, you know, I, I listen to it over and over just because I think the story is so powerful and such a reminder um, just to, to go after what you believe in. Well, let me ask another question to you both in the area of wellness, health and wellness. And this is about mindset and kind of approaching um, your products. So you're both kind of focused on really helping people live their best lives and uh, and bo- in both your ventures, actually, but really kind of approaching health and wellness, being the best version of themselves. What should they, what should our listeners, what should your audience, what should your constituency think about as they're approaching either trying one of your products or approaching a class what do you want to encourage them to come at your product or service with and Anne, in this case i'll start with you um we talk a lot about you know that's our tagline right like solid core underneath solid core says create you know creating the strongest help helping you create the strongest version of yourself yeah and we we mean that and everybody who works here you know frankly, lives with that attitude. Um, you know, you'll, you, you will hear our coaches talk about that in the studio. It's why we call our coaches coaches and not instructors. Like all of this, all of this language was also deliberate and intentional. And um, we want people to have that experience in there where, where we are tapping into their mind. You know, for example, if they're modifying a move in class, you know, you'll, you'll hear the coach say something like, you know, Wherever you are in class today, you just need to own it and make sure you're being honest with yourself. Are you taking the easy road out? Could you be giving more right now? Um, you know, how hard you work in the studio is a direct representation to how hard you're going to work outside the studio. We talk a lot about how challenging the workout is and how it's a certain type of person who does solid core and who will do solid core. Um, you, you are looking for a challenge. You are looking to test yourself. You're looking to see what you're made of. Um, and you're willing to show up in a way that is honorable and respectable and um, full of kindness and also going to support and help the teammates, you know, your teammates around you. So that language is constantly being discussed, you know, in, you know, in the studio all the time. You, you sort of feel that through our social media and you feel it when you're taking class. Wow, thank you. Wow. That was powerful. Wow. Appreciate that. <laughs> and, and you come out with a better looking body. I'm <laughs> telling you, I, I'm telling you, it, it, uh, it, I believe in it. I do too. I'm going to definitely try it. Shizu, how about you? What do you want people to come at your product with? Yeah, I think everything should not, you know, it, it's similar to expectations. It's, this is not a quick fix. You can't come in here to our, you know, stores and say, like, fix me. The fixing has to start with you and it comes with your mentality. And so, you know, juice for one product is like an added supplement. Um, similar to Anne, we also watch our words really closely and we call it, you know, our programs, like we have some three and five day programs. We have reboots, three and five day reboots. They reboot you, they kickstart you, they reinvigorate you, they kickstart you into that healthier lifestyle. So you can also do solid core, you can also have more juice, you can also eat on the side, but they're not cleanses. They're not this like, raise your hands up and say, you know, fix me. Um, and kind of just like lose weight. That's not kind of what our intention is. Uh, our slogan, wealthy is the new wealthy, is to say, you know, wealth um, or health is wealth. Because if we don't have our bodies, what's money going to do for you? 
Um, you know, and I learned that very quickly at Goldman, but also mental wellness is so important. And I think, you know, it's not talked about enough in our communities as well as like how our physical bodies can, you know, alter our mental body or mental wellness and vice versa. So we really want to be that go-to place for all things wellness. And that could be both in, in, you know, your head to your physical bodies. Nice. Thank you for sharing, both of you. That was great. Ooh, I feel invigorated already. <laughs> well, we're coming to our favorite part of the show where we wrap up. And that's an inside joke because everybody knows how I feel about wrapping up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mindset, Zena. Mindset. It's a mindset. I, I think um, Ann and Shizu are, are teaching me that along the way. So, um, Ann, where can we find you? Yeah, I mean, well... <laughs> I, I live, I don't know if you're asking physically or online. <laughs> oh, um, online I, and we're yeah, gonna, physically too. We're going to be at your house at 7 yeah, a.m. tomorrow. I want, I want my arms to look like yours. I heard they're fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, you know, coming to the studios, I'm, I'm in them all the time and I still coach. It's an important part of my leadership is to be on the front lines and on the on the ground floor with my team. So I, I coach every Wednesday in Adams Morgan um, and I try to get to all the other studios as often as I can. Um, but you know, we've solid core of course has Instagram and Facebook and, and, and so do I, just, just my name. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, if you have been thinking about trying solid core, I've heard about it. You know, I, I am just as proud of our inclusive community as I is, our, as I am our workout. So it really can be, um, life changing in a really positive way. So again, if you're just thinking about it, maybe, uh, maybe it's an omen that you're listening that it's time to try. She's where can yeah, we find so, you? Um, we're based in the DMV area. You can get delivery if you go to drink.com. If you personally want to see me, I'm definitely going to be hopping around. Um, one of our store locations is 14th Street, Adams Morgan, Capitol Hill, Clarendon, uh, Virginia, uh, and DuPont. So, uh, and you can find us at Drink Juicery, J-R-I-N-K, Juicery. That might change in the next few months. Uh, <laughs> but for now, that's there on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, and yeah. So I have a quick question before I wrap up. And yes, I'm delaying this, okay? I'm, not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm delaying this. Where did you get drink from? Because I don't know. Are you are you familiar that's a term that's used in the African-American community a lot? No, I am not. I, I no. was wondering that. No. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes we say dr- drink. It's, it's, I, I, would t- I would turn on the rap song for you. That is And so, so you can hear it. <laughs> no, it was like we were, we were grabbing like a drink, like literal like wine or something at the time. And we said like J for juice, is the, you know, was our product. And we're like, oh, we should just try. Either people hate it or love it, but they'll probably remember it. I may have a whole new audience for you. <laughs> <laughs> so we today we talked about how to scale and maintain the right level of intimacy in customers, audiences, and the business team. Although we talked about a whole lot. So um, drink has 15 juices, five shots, four milks, and apothecary. And this entrepreneur's journey was not linear. And she lives by this quote, and I believe it, life pressed is fresh pressed. Um, She took five years of her business, and she learned a lot about how to pivot. And the same with our other guests from Salacor and they sound like they pivoted a lot in order to grow and form intimacy with their customers. And how do you scale intimacy with your customers is what we learn. And, um, you know, as it's harder and harder to grow your team and your business and along with your customers because it's all about a big family relationship. And so you have to put in processes and teams and, um, and procedures in place. And we learn from both our guests about the balance between family and team. Um, Anne talked about having gratitude, you know, moments with her team. And um, she's just shared a lot of uh, tips on how to, you know, maintain the growth and um, learning how to be honest and transparent and know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And that's something I need to learn myself. Um, Effective leader in order to be an effective leader you have to listen and remember to always listen to your team listen to your your customers listen to your audience on social media it'll help you to become effective leader and as you continue to grow and scale your businesses and um, think about how to contribute the gratefulness in the room you know with the people you work with i thought that was very powerful that ann said and that we all should turn you know take that with us 
Um, we talked about PR. PR, um, you don't have to always use it for media to push your message out there, you know, and uh, you can use it for storytelling. Talk about your business, how you got there. Uh, women's entrepreneurship is hot right now. Um, everybody's talking about it. Talk about, you know, how you grew your business and um, got to be where you are today. And they also, we talked about the downside PR, having a PR crisis. And, and I have to tell you, to be honest with you, I dealt with a PR crisis with one particular client years ago, and he's well known. I cannot say his name. And I understand what you went through because it was all, it was politics and it was very political. And I decided at that point in my life, I'll never deal with anybody in politics again. So um, stay in your lane and own your space. And I'm going to end with that because I think that was another powerful phrase that came out of this um, podcast. So you know where to find us at GetFoundGetFunded.com. We're on Twitter at GetFoundGetFunded. And on um, Instagram and Facebook. So please, please, please tune in to our sh this show and future shows. Thank you.